Let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word, by your spirit, to the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The city of Jerusalem is in turmoil. Thousands are hearing about Jesus and responding with great conviction and in great joy. They're forming new communities of believers where they're learning about their newfound faith at the feet of the apostles. They're sharing extravagant to one another. They're sharing their lives with extraordinary love and care for each other. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are baptised and that number has now risen to five. But dark forces are at work. Trouble is closing in. Trouble is closing in. (laughs) Not all are friendly to this newfound faith. And here the apostles Peter and John are in trouble. They've been preaching in the temple courtyard about Jesus and that trouble has been inflamed by a miracle. A crippled man has walked. A healing has taken place in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, are arrested because Peter, and presumably John also, has been preaching. They're held in custody overnight, presumably in the hope that they will cool off in the morning. And then they're summoned before the famous Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court, where some of the most powerful men in the land and determined enemies of Jesus are sitting in judgment. These priests, including the captain of the temple guard, are no ordinary priests. They're Sadducees, a powerful aristocratic class, the landed gentry. They are wealthy and powerful, and they're used to getting their own way. They dominate Jerusalem. They keep peace with Rome. They preserve their interests. The most powerful Sadducean family for generations was the family of a man called Annas. He had been the high priest and then passed on that role to his son-in-law, Caiaphas. Between them, they controlled the temple and all the businesses associated with it. They are wealthy, powerful, influential men. They want no talk of a Messiah to challenge the status quo. They've seen in Jesus a threat to their authority and power, and in league with others, they've plotted his death and arranged his crucifixion. Peter and John know exactly who these men are. They know exactly what they are capable of. These men arranged the trial and the death of Jesus. They could easily kill them too. And yet they respond with courage, with a confession, and with clarity. First of all, courage. Verse 13. 
When they, that's the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Only about two months before, the Sanhedrin had uh, gathered together. And they had sat in judgment upon another prisoner. That time, the prisoner was Jesus. And he had remained silent before his accusers because his hour had not come. Through the travesty of a trial with false witnesses, Jesus is proclaimed a blasphemer worthy of death. He's sent to Pilate for judgment. Peter knew of the events of that night. He was an eyewitness to them. Why? Because he'd been standing in a courtyard outside. Three times he had had the opportunity to stand with Jesus. And three times he had publicly denied him. John, his compatriot, arrested beside him in the temple courts, while he had run away that night in terror. Look at the difference now. They are fearless. And not just here, but throughout the book of Acts, we see the church witnessing, preaching, and praying with boldness. Acts chapter 9. But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly. Acts chapter 14. So Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time at Iconium. They spoke boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace with signs and wonders. Acts chapter 18. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly, in the synagogue. Preached fearlessly, spoke boldly, speaking boldly. What has made the change for Peter and John? What has given them such courage? What can give us such courage too? The answer there is in verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Here is the secret of their courage. They are filled with God's Holy Spirit. I remember seeing a similar kind of courage when I was in the Philippines. I worked for a little church out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, And as part of that church, we used to run a a children's club every Saturday morning. And there was a lady who came to that uh, children's club uh, called Jenny. Uh, You would call her unschooled. She'd had no education beyond uh, primary school. Uh, She could read and write, but she wasn't really literate. And Jenny would bring a group of children uh, to our holiday club. And one day she said to me, "Uh, Father Lee, that's what they used to call me, "Uh, Father Lee, would you come to my village? And I said, sure, and, and we went to her village. It was about an hour's walk away. And we got to her village, and I discovered that she'd, uh, she'd called the whole village together for a meeting. 
And she said, uh, this, this is Father Lee. Um, he's going to be our priest, which was news to me. <laughs> Turned out the village was very poor. They didn't have a church, didn't have any kind of Christian meetings. And she decided that I was the perfect person to come and start some church meetings in her village. And so we, we began a Bible study. I would go and I'd visit on Sundays and I would, and I would preach. Uh, a few uh, women came to faith, and then one or two of their husbands came to faith as well, and then their, their children were baptised, and slowly this little group uh, grew. One Wednesday, I headed over for our Bible study that we'd, we'd do in the little square of the village, and uh, she said to me, oh, oh, Father Lee, we're not having Bible study today. And I said, okay, why is that? And she said, we're going to Bahala. Bahala, not Valhalla, uh, Bahala. Bahala is the uh, Cebuano word for whatever's left over. Whatever you don't want that's left over. Do you have any peaches? You can have Bahala. You can have, you can have the mouldy ones that are left, that are left over. Can I, can, I, can I buy some chickens? Uh, you don't need to buy any. You can, you can have Bahala. You can have that one that's dying. You can, you can take that one if you want. I won't, I won't charge you for that. Bahala means what's left over, what's of no worth, what nobody wants, has no value, whatever is left. And so we went to the village called Whatever is Left Over. And it was called that because it was on land that nobody wanted. It was down on the the riverbanks. It was land that would flood frequently. It was land where the the sewage from the city would would wash up and all the rubbish and uh, detritus were. And the people of Bahala would sort through that and they would find bits of metal, bits of wood, bits of tarpaulin. They would build little, uh, little shacks. I thought Jenny's village was poor. This was a, a poorer village still. And I discovered that Jenny and the mums who come to faith with her were regularly visiting Bahala. Hadn't asked them to, hadn't taught them to, hadn't encouraged them to. But they were going to Bahala And they were sharing their faith in Christ with the people there. And so I rocked up in Bahala. Jenny called the village together. She said, this is Father Lee. He's going to be your priest. He's going to lead you in Bible study. He's going to come and teach you. And together, we're going to train your children too. And a little church began in Bahala as well. Now... Years on, I get the occasional uh, email. The church spread, and another church spread, and another church spread. And today, a Filipino pastor is pastor of a whole string of churches along the along the coast. Uh, that began not with me, but with Jenny, an unschooled, uh, illiterate woman, a woman who had nothing except the courage and the faith that the Holy Spirit brought her. They spoke with courage. They also made a good confession. We didn't have it in our reading this morning, but if you read on, you come to verses 18 and 20. We have the the verdict of the court, the Sanhedrin. They pronounce judgment. The Sadducees decide what will happen, and they say this. They called them in again and commanded them, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? 
To listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They make their confession. They confess with their mouths what they've seen and heard. They talk about Jesus. God is not calling us this morning to head out of this building and stop every person we meet and challenge them about their eternal salvation. That's not evangelism. That's bothering people. And there is a difference. But what God is calling us to is to be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within us. Peter will write a letter, a letter to a church, and in that letter he will write these words. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. I've lost count of the number of Christians I've spoken to about sharing our faith. And the answer's always been, I could never, I could never knock on a door. I could never organise a meeting at my work. I could never speak to a stranger. I could never stand up in public. I could never give a talk. I could never preach a sermon. I could never lead an alpha group. I could never, I could never, I could never. God doesn't ask you to do what you could never do. He asks you to do what you can do. He asks you to do what every Christian can do. You can give an answer for the hope you have within you. These men had been with Jesus. He had rubbed off on them. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. If you revere him as Lord in your heart, his spirit will fill your life. And if his spirit fills your life, he will make a difference to you. And that difference should be noticeable. And people will ask you, what is it? What is it that brings you hope? What is it that gives you peace? Where do you get your strength from? And when that moment comes, give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within you. And do that with gentleness and with respect. little uh, secret for you. Uh, In a few weeks' time, uh, Tim and Claire will receive a gift. They'll be getting a Labrador puppy. Not from me, not from me, not from St. Giles. They'll be getting a Labrador puppy from the bishop. He will be giving them one of his puppies. I know. I've been here for ten years. I've not had so much as a biro. Tim turns up, six months later, here you go, would you like a puppy? And not just any old puppy, not a Bahala puppy, but a gorgeous little Labrador puppy. How will you be able to tell 
when Tim and Claire get their puppy. Don't worry. They will tell you. They will tell you. They will not be able to keep themselves from telling you. They'll be showing you photos on their phone. They'll be telling you stories about the mess that it's made, the things that it's chewed. They'll be telling you about the places they've discovered as they've gone for walks with their dog. They will not be able to help themselves sharing the good news of their new arrival. So it was with the early church. I love the story of the Samaritan's woman's confession of her uh, testimony. The woman at the well in John chapter 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Christ because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done, she said. They spoke with courage, they made their confession. What's your confession this morning? What's your story? What's your testimony? What's your news about what God is doing in your life, what God has done in your life? Where's the hope that is within you? How can you share that with others? We've had courage, we've had confession, there must be another sea coming, and of course there is clarity They speak with clarity. Verses 10 to 12. Know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. To these Sadducees, to these Sanhedrin, to these nation builders, Peter says... The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. There is piercing clarity here. They don't mess around. They don't beat about the bush. They don't pull their punches. It's one of the things, um, as we've gone through the, the curacy uh, process, as um, I've been training Tim and as Tim has been training me, um, one of the things that we have to do is uh, we write a number of reports. There's quite a bit of uh, paperwork to do, and it all goes back to the, uh, the sort of uh, point person at the diocese who looks after this for us. And uh, on every email, she always says this. Every time she's chasing us for paperwork, there's always a little phrase that she puts at the bottom. She says, I don't need a lot. Just be clear and concise. Bullet points will do. I am brilliant at bullet points. (laughs) I can do bullet points. Tim? He's not so good. They speak with clarity. When you share your faith in Christ with others... Be sure to speak of your own experience, but don't just speak of your own experience. When you invite people to Alpha or to church services or Christian events or whatever it might be, talk about those events. Talk about what will happen. Uh, Share what you learnt on Alpha. But don't just talk about Alpha. 
Don't just talk about St. Giles. Don't just talk about our worship. Talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. If you simply talk about an experience, however wonderful that experience might have been, people will just put it alongside the other experiences that they have or others hear about. Well, that's kind of a mystical experience or an emotional experience or an experience of a, a wonderful group that they've been part of. And they'll say, well, that's, that's lovely for you, uh, but it might not do anything for me. Our faith rests not on feelings, but on facts. Peter points to the facts of Jesus. There's been a healing that has taken place. And Peter says it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. Why does he need to say of Nazareth? Why of Nazareth? Because he locates Jesus in history. It's not just a magical word that has been said. It's not just a a spell, as though Jesus is some kind of incantation. But Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the preacher, the miracle worker, who died, was was crucified, died and was buried. That Jesus, who three days later rose again, he's the one who has healed There's a clarity to their message. There's a clarity of an A, B, C, D. A is for accept. Accept that you too need to be put right with God. B is for believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he came to do. C is for confess. Confess that you've made a mess of your life without God. And D is for decide. Decide to follow Christ. Make him Lord in every area of your life. How will you share the gospel with clarity? How will you explain to your friends and family and uh, work colleagues uh, what they might do to be saved? You can share an A, B, C, D. Accept, believe, confess, declare. As we conclude, we come back to where we started. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh Lord, what was true of Peter and John, may it be true of us too. Lord, we are ordinary men and women, ordinary children. There is nothing special about us. The only thing is that we know you. We know the hope that you have set within us. 
And so, Lord, we pray, as the early church prayed, that you would make us bold, that we would be bold in confessing you as Lord, that you'd show us ways in which we can uh, share the hope that you have given us uh, with gentleness and respect. Lord, help us take our eyes off those things that we could never do and to let those go and to think instead of the things that we can do, what you call us to do. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us courage. Help us to confess you. Give us clarity in our words, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.